Hello and welcome to the 12 Minutes of Workplace Health podcast. I'm Harry Bliss, CEO and co-founder of Champion Health. And today we're joined by Bex Morehouse, the founder of Invigorate Spaces. Before Bex founded her own consultancy, she worked at Nike as the head of workplace design and connectivity in making sure that every employee has the right employee experience to be able to perform at their peak. Today's conversation is an absolute belter. Thank you for listening and welcome to the podcast, Bex. Hello, Bex. How are you? I'm really good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Very well. Really looking forward to discussing today's topics around wellbeing performance and also looking at how the employee experience is going to tie into wellbeing solutions going forward. So let's kick off with the first element of wellbeing and high performance. Can you just share a little bit of your knowledge and experience around this to our listenership, please? Yeah, of course. So um, well-being, I've, I've kind of touched on this before, but I think well-being sometimes it's not really thought of in terms of performance. And if we think through like the sporting lens in terms of marginal gains and kind of performing at our best, uh, there's many things that we have to make sure that we have, you know, on board to be able to perform at our best, like nutrition, you know, our mindset needs to be in the right place, the environment that we're in, the people we socialise with, they all need to support that performance. So for me, um, without all of those key facets of well-being being in place, you can't be expected to perform at your best. And your experience at Nike, or Nike, depending on uh, and how you pronounce it, um, how much of that ties into their brand and their mission um, and, and what kind of things did you implement in your time at, time at Nike? Yeah, so it's at the heart of everything. So basically Nike, I should say, um, say that if you have a body, you are an athlete. And so every single person that works there is termed an athlete and is basically um, encouraged to perform at their best. And with that, it's, you know, freedom to go to do sports whenever you know is required there's no like you know excuse me line manager can I go and do sports you can just go when you want um and it's just a part of every single part of being at Nike really um it, it's so important that the well-being was prioritized because let's be honest it's a, ha- a fast-paced environment there's a lot of like zoom meetings and back-to-back meetings and things like that and without taking those breaks during the day you know there would be no way that you would be able to perform at your best Absolutely. And, and the, the links are, um, are well founded from the research that's out there for organisations that aren't Nike um, yeah. and don't have that kind of employee that is really engaged with sport and high performance. What would your advice be in your consultancy practice to those organisations to be able to see those links between well-being and high performance and engaging those people that aren't too concerned about well-being or high performance themselves? Yeah, I think it's just trying to get to the heart of sometimes there's a misconception around when we talk about performance, we think of like elite sports stars. And that isn't really what performance is about. It's you performing at the best that you can do for yourself. So for some people that might be taking a walk during the day or it could be sitting for five minutes and just having a cup of coffee in the morning and thinking about what's ahead. So for me, performance can be at all different levels, but it's just about you being your best. So with the consultancy, when we go in, we try to sort of like meet the client where they are. So some people are doing lots of fantastic stuff already um, and implementing lots of different things. And sometimes those staff members are just bamboozled. There's so much Mm -hmm. on offer. They don't know what to go after. So really, it's um, kind of going through what they currently provide, where they're currently at, and then like reworking it to make the best um, attraction, uh, I suppose, for each of those different things that are going on. And that traction is one of the most important things. And I say it to the team regularly, and I think our listeners would have heard this multiple times, that there's no point in building a world-leading platform if you don't get the traction and the engagement 
from employees. From your experience, what leads to high engagement and high levels of traction um, from employees when it comes to wellbeing? I think it, it. everybody says this, it's that leadership, stakeholder engagement. That's the most important thing. Like if you see a senior leader of an organization stopping their work at 11 o'clock and going to the gym or stopping their work at, you know, three o'clock because they want to go and pick the kids up from school or whatever it might be, those type of um, clear demarcate and like it's okay to do this, it, 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 that's what it's all about. And it has to be at every level of the organization. Again, it shouldn't be just a few. I've seen some bad examples in some organizations where senior leaders seem to have good flexibility, but then junior members of staff don't have that flexibility. So it can't just be top down. It has to be throughout the whole organization. But I think those guys actually showing the North Star of what we're aiming for um, is, a, is the easiest way to get traction. And giving that permission is absolutely vital. And one thing that we do find and we're, from the conversations we're having is that's harder with home working. And I know a big focus of yours at Nike was around that employee experience and the workplace design. What's your take on home working at the moment or hybrid working? Is it something that organisations are really benefiting from or actually is it harder because people can't role model and, and see those behaviours from, from other people? Yeah, I think it, it, it's it's the same with any of these type of discussions, isn't it? It's down to the individual. Sometimes, you know, like I'm quite an introverted person, actually. So I was quite comfortable working from home because I was in my own space. I quite enjoyed that, you know, flexibility of it, etc. And then you've got other people who are extroverted and really miss that human connection. So I think that there's a balance to be had. But um, I was talking about this with another client, actually, the other day. It does go back to your company values, really, like, if your company value is we want to be a community, we want to work together and be present and all these other things that go with it, then realistically, you're going to have to do that in an office together because by nature, you want to be interacting with people and being social. So, yeah, I think there's a place for both of them, but I definitely don't think there's a, a cut and dry cookie cutter type answer to say everybody should go hybrid or everyone should go remote. You know, it's, it is down to the individual companies and we've seen good examples of where it's really worked home working and also bad examples, unfortunately. I think that's a fantastic answer because you often get polar opposites in terms of someone saying it has to be home working, this is the way, or it has to be office-based if you're an office-based workforce. And actually what works for that individual employee, but also for the team is always unique. And as you say, there are good and, and bad examples within there. Now, going on to workplace design, um, and that's a really key facet of any organization. What's the work that you did at Nike? I'm just fascinated to learn a little bit more as to how you got employees through that design um, to perform at their at their peak. Yeah, and this is a bit that I'm super passionate about as well, that the first important thing we did at Nike was we asked our colleagues, what do you want to see? So it was that two-way collaboration. There was no point in us investing heavily in amazing facilities if the employees didn't want it. So we did build out, you know, gyms on site, um, quiet spaces like libraries where people could go and completely disconnect, you know, conversations weren't allowed in those spaces, etc. And then we had other areas for social connection. So like uh, hub areas, um, cafeteria spaces and also huge conferencing suites as well where people could meet their teams and have team to teams and all hands and things like that so I think that the beauty of a nice environment that helps that 
performance in terms of well-being is that variety of spaces and obviously the overarching thing is natural daylight biophilia like Mm. beautiful spaces that you feel like this absolute warmth when you come in that's the whole thing of um you know and you know why you're there and you know what the brand is doing because of the signage etc in the office and you get that buzz of coming to that to that premises so yeah lots of different spaces I think is is the is the most important thing and do you think there's a future for a business um, that may look at um, designing out home working spaces for individuals within organisations? So hypothetically, I spend 10 hours a day in a room in my house and I may not have designed it for natural daylight and all of those other factors and the ergonomic elements. Do you think there's something in that from organisations to consider going forwards? Yeah, I do. And actually, um, if, for example, a company goes down that route of saying, you know, we're going to hybrid work, I think that they need to provide a comfy, you know, space in that employee's home. So an ergonomic desk, um, you know, the correct monitors, everything that they need to be able to perform at their best. And and that's that is a requirement that you sh- that companies should be doing. So I think it I think it varies. I, I have heard of um if you're a junior member of the team and you're living in a shared house, as an example, working from home is never going to be ideal. And so I think it would be too much to say an employer needs to build out extra space or something, but definitely working within the remits of foldable tables then as an example that can be tucked under beds and things like that so that they can still work appropriately. Yeah, I find it a fascinating area and one that's going to evolve rapidly over the next few years, I I imagine, and hopefully I've given someone a business idea um, off the back of that as well (laughs) to to crack on with. Um, in terms of solutions and well-being solutions, it's something we've spoken about prior to this conversation today. What are the good examples of solutions being embedded, but also what are the learnings that you could take from your consultancy and who you work with and your time at Nike as well, um, where it's not necessarily um, got the levels of engagement that you may have hoped for? Mm, I think the uh, reassuring thing to say is there is so many people that are doing amazing things in the wellness space. And I find that through the consultancy. Um, there's also this this um, big body of people who are doing, you know, spending a huge vast amount, array of money on solutions that aren't really working. So, again, part of what I do is going in and saying, well, people aren't using that. Why don't we take that resource and use it against something else? But I think the secret to all of it is embedding it in the wellness wheel and the whole part of wellness, because there's certain things within the wellness space, like mental health, as an example, that have huge kudos. And I'm not saying that it doesn't deserve its place to have huge kudos. But then when you look at, say, financial well-being, there isn't the same level of traction around, say, financial well-being or the spiritual connection as well seems to be something that isn't there. So what I would say is um, it's going back to fully embedding a wellness strategy and putting a whole program in, in place according to that strategy so that you don't get swayed by ping pong tables and things that don't really add benefit but people think that's what they need to do because the Googles of this world are doing that you know so yeah a really holistic embedded strategy I think is the secret. What is a strategy for you as well so we we often get asked that from our members and our clients and I've got a specific viewpoint on what a strategy really means and what does it mean for you and your consultancy and the work that you do Bex? I think it's like a North Star, basically. So it's it's something that should be in every level of your organisation. It shouldn't be too wordy that nobody can dig out that document and find it. Um, I love a little triangle diagram. That's my personal favourite, saying these are the building blocks we need to go through. And it makes it super simple for everyone in the organisation to follow through on. We haven't really spoken much about it, but another big part of wellbeing is that ability to have psychological safety. And I feel like in many cases 
that isn't present in organizations. And so even if you're given the space to your colleague to say, you know, I'm not really feeling very well today or things are getting me down, if the manager doesn't know how to actually address that and handle it, it kind of goes out the window, even though the intent and the thought is there. So it has to be at every level of the organization. It has to be as simple as possible. That That is my tip for the, for the strategy and achievable. I, I couldn't agree more um, and, and relatable to employees as well um, on, on top of that. So that, that's mm. fascinating. I've got a session as well that I'm delivering this afternoon um, on psychological safety. And it's about how it ties in with innovation. Could you share a little bit more around psychological safety and how we could build more psychologically safe workplaces going forwards? Yeah, of course. Um, I'm a massive lover of Brenny Brown. I have to say that star. (laughs) And um, I just think that her work that she does in terms of vulnerability is just so important. In the past, especially in the corporate world, unfortunately, it was seen as a negative to be emotional or a negative to be able to say, you know, to say I'm struggling with this. It was like almost back to the performance element of wellness. It was like, well, you can't be performing if you're struggling. Like that is, you know, it isn't, you can't do both. I think Brenny really shed a light on what psychological safety is. And it's that ability to speak to your line manager or speak to a mental health first aider or someone else in the organization and not to be judged, just to be listened to and not always to come up with a solution either. I think that sometimes people who want to help, they always go in that default of like, I'm going to come up with a solution, everything's going to be okay. But sometimes it's just about listening and and understanding that the employee is going through something and you can make a difference to support them in this life event or whatever it might be that's happening. And I heard something recently that your line manager is more impactful for your health and well-being than your doctor. Um, and I think wow. that psychological safety element is huge. So, Bex, thank you so much for joining us on today's session. There's loads of things that I've noted down that I'm taking away personally, and I'm sure there is with our listeners as well. Thank you so much, Bex. Thanks so much for having me. For more exclusive insights and content around workplace well-being, please subscribe to this podcast. And we look forward to seeing you on the next episode.